Hey friends, indeed, it's so good to be back. Uh, I was away for about a month. I'm back for two weeks and uh, happy to be able to share the pulpit and bring a message. But I'll be uh, away again in a, in a short while for another month or so. Uh, before we begin, shall we bow our heads in prayer? Let us pray. Lord, in your mercy, would you speak to us? Would you inspire us through the power of your Holy Spirit and grant us wisdom, Lord, so that we would humble ourselves and not be proud, but instead to seek you in all that we do and submit our will to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts, O Lord, be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let me start with a question. Are there some things that you are proud about? Uh, maybe you're proud about your uh, football club, as uh, some fans are when they lift up the... Uh, when the team lifts up the Championship Cup, <coughs> Liverpool, or uh, the accomplishments of your children, or maybe even your hard-earned promotion after a long period of trying, or how you've reached this particular period in life, your uh, seat in life, or in German, Zitz und Lieben. Is there anything wrong with being proud about such things? And... Uh, when does proud cause us to think too highly of ourselves? What does the Bible have to tell us about pride and how then are we to walk humbly before our God? Now the text that we just heard gives us a glimpse of the downfall of a king which our chronicler attributes to pride. Was he always proud? What made him become proud? And what were the signs that he had grown proud? Perhaps in understanding the king's pride, we too can identify occasions where we ourselves might be heading for a downfall and heed God's word of wisdom to us. We began our reading from verse 16, but I'd encourage you to go back and read from the beginning, in verse 1, uh, the whole chapter for a fuller context. As you read it, you will find that the chronicle depicts King Uzziah as starting well and reigning actually for a very long time, longer than some of the other kings that were before him. So let me make this first observation in the form of a question. How did Uzziah start well and how did he sustain his reign? We're looking at this from Second Chronicles 26 verse 1 to 15, but also in parallel, 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 21 to 22, and chapter 15, verse 1 to 17. Now, verse 1 and verse 3 tells us that Uzziah was 16. King Uzziah was 16 when he replaced his father Amaziah as king, and that he ruled Judah for 52 years. Really long time. And the chronology of kings in 2 Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 21 to 22, however, gives us the name of a king after a Messiah as Azariah, not Uzziah. So really, uh, one point to know from this is that King Uzziah and King Azariah are the same. They reigned, or, or the, that one person, King Uzziah, reigned for 52 years. So scholars and commentators suggest that they are one and the same, uh, with Uzziah being his enthronement uh, name, whilst uh, Azariah, is his given name. Now, in case you're wondering why Uzziah's uh, name sounds familiar, 
Uh, he is more famously linked to the prophet Isaiah, who received his vision from God the year Uzziah died. So the name Uzziah means Yahweh is strong, while Azariah means the Lord has helped. And we see the chronicler making the point that Uzziah started well because in verse, uh, 20, uh, chapter 26, verse 5c, he says, As long as he sought the Lord, as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him prosper. He was helped by God and the Lord is strong and mighty. So verses 1 to 15 elaborate on Uzziah's success in rebuilding and fortifying cities in Judah and Jerusalem, growing and equipping his army, uh, becoming victorious in military campaigns and increasing the yield of his crops. So really, he wasn't an idle, uh, lazy king. Uh, but from the looks of it, he was very successful. He was industrious and pretty much a productive king. You could say that his successes and victories may have been a source of pride for him. Uh, we don't take pride in things that we don't excel at. So he was pretty good at what he was doing, and there were some things that he could be really proud about. But in all of this narrative, God is not mentioned, uh, but he is implied both in uh, the king's name of Azariah, uh, to mean that the Lord has helped him, as well as what we find at the end of verse 15, which ends, For he, Uzziah, was greatly helped, until he became powerful. This brings me to the second observation, which pivots and totally turns around the narrative with the contrasting statement in verse 16. Verse 16 has a thought that says, but when he became powerful. Right, and so the second passage, we're going to look at uh, verse 16 to 18. The irony that the chronicler makes with Uzziah's name uh, which is, the Lord is strong, or the Lord is, the Lord is mighty or powerful, is propped up and is contrasted against the assertion, but after Uzziah became powerful. And the verse continues to say, his pride led to his downfall. His pride led to his downfall. Now the verse continues with the charge, the accusation, that he was unfaithful, to the Lord his God. And that whole verse, uh, very brief, but the indignant is that he entered into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So in just one verse, the uh, writer of Chronicles answers the questions I'd raised earlier when we began. Was he always proud? No, not at the start not when he sought after God and learned to fear God through Zechariah, uh, the previous uh, chief priest. So he was doing well, and he sought God at the beginning. What made or caused him to become proud? The answer is, when he became powerful, and he became powerful not in his own strength, but through God's help all those years, that's when he became proud, when he himself became powerful. And what were the signs that he had grown proud? The writer states that Uzziah entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, the altar of incense is prescribed. It's actually prescribed, not described, but 
given and told to the people by God in Exodus chapter 30. It was placed before the veil that is above the ark in front of the mercy seat. So it's just before the Holy of Holies. The one place that where the, only the chief priest is allowed to go in once a year uh, during the Day of Atonement. It was to be tended by Aaron and the priesthood perpetually. Every day, in the morning and in the evening, they were to light up incense as a form of prayer, a sweet-smelling incense and prayer for all generations. And that particular passage repeats a few, a few times that the altar of incense is most holy to the Lord. So in Exodus chapter 30, uh, verse 30 to 38, God specifies that the priests are to be anointed and consecrated to serve God. It was their task to prepare the anointing oil and incense, and these two were only for God's use. No one else. They're not supposed to do this for their own personal use, only for God, and again that word, holy to the Lord. So the Exodus 30 passage warns multiple times that any misuse of these items would result in the person being cut off from his people. Now we need to understand that this whole idea of the altar of incense also ties in later on to Jesus, who is this intercessor who stands between us and God, daily interceding for His people. So there are ramifications, theological ramifications moving forward. Now let's get back to Uzziah. Uzziah's actions show that he was not faithful to God because he no longer placed belief and trust in God's commands. Now, having been familiar, he was known to Zechariah, the previous chief priest, as well as being confronted by Azariah, the current chief priest. The irony is that his name also means the one who is being helped by God, along with 80 other courageous priests. Uzziah was confronted and therefore would have known these rules for holiness to God. But he disregarded them. And as verse 19 says, he grew angry and he raged at the priest in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple. Now, I'd like to pause and ask you to picture that. Picture yourself there watching Uzziah raging before God. He's there standing at the altar of incense amongst all the priests and he's yelling at them, he's losing his temper and he's raging before God. Why? Because he was thwarted. He was thwarted and prevented from disobeying God. The king was either really presumptuous, arrogant and proud to think that he was above God's laws or faithless to think that no one would or could stop him or that God would not hold him accountable for his actions. So the writer of Chronicles puts forth that pride led to Uzziah's downfall and he was unfaithful to God and for that he was cut off from his people, 
by God. How? Through leprosy. My dear friends, let me make this point. Pride causes a downfall when it seeks to place a man's position above or equal to God. Let me say that once again. Pride causes a downfall when it seeks to place a man's position above or equal to God. Now, biblical uh, pride or, or the examples of pride that were given in the Bible uh, can either be modest, humble, and justified self-respect based on sober judgment through the Holy Spirit. And we see an example of this in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Consider yourself, uh, do not think of yourself more highly than uh, others, but consider yourself with sober judgment. Uh, so it's either a modest, humble, justified self-respect of yourself or an improper, excessive self-esteem. Self-esteem that is conceited and arrogant like what we see uh, with the Bible character in today's passage, Uzziah. Or in other places like the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we find that in Daniel chapter 4, verses 29 to 30. Or another example, Prime Minister Haman in Esther uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Or in the New Testament, King Herod in Acts chapter 12, verse 22. Just to name a few. Now, these biblical images of pride are most obviously kings, rulers, and nations. But pride is a vice that is easily accessible by any person, whether rich or poor, weak or powerful, able or disabled. It's available to anyone who wishes to take pride in, in, in himself or of his own. So the Bible shows us through various examples in the Old Testament and New Testament the dark side of pride. That it is a symptom of depravity and evil. That selfish pride in the way of being conceited, haughty, boastful, arrogant, scornful, pretentious and presumptuous is both sinful and evil. And that such pride is a characteristic, it's in the nature of the devil and is used by the devil uh, as a devil's trap to cause others to sin. In fact, we would argue that the first sin by the devil was to desire to be like God. So the first sin may have been pride. He desires to be like God and therefore he tempts all of us to do the same to put our wishes and desires over and above God and thus be like God. Or worse, make God a servant to our wants and desires. Now you and I can probably spot a proud, conceited and boastful person a mile away. But why is it that we can't see this pride in ourselves or in those who are close to us? What should really hit us hardest about this passage, uh, though, is, is that like Uzziah, we could start out well. We could start out really well and seek the Lord. But when success comes our way, and especially over a long period of time, 
and we grow powerful in our own eyes or even in the eyes of uh, the world or our friends, that's when we are most likely to fall into the devil's trap of selfish pride. In fact, I would suggest to you that the church is one of the most likely places that you might encounter people trapped in spiritual pride. Now, Uzziah likely suffered the same spiritual pride, thinking that his good deeds, his self-righteousness and position as king qualified him to take liberties with his worship to and his approach towards God, or how he looked down on others like the priest uh, that he raged at. So my dear friends, how then are we to keep an eye out and to prevent ourselves from falling into this devil's pride of selfish spiritual pride? Let me answer this question by moving on to the third observation, which is uh, that God uses humble vessels. He's more likely to use someone who will listen to Him than someone who is too proud and arrogant to listen. Now, one of the most insidious types of pride that Jesus had to deal with was spiritual pride. It's insidious because spiritual pride causes spiritual blindness. And I'd like to remember, uh, remind you about uh, Pastor Shearn's big idea last week that spiritual blindness gives rise to fear and helplessness. Not only that, I'd probably add to it that spiritual blindness prevents us from seeing God at work around us. But what is spiritual pride? Now Jesus dealt with it when he told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18 verses 9 to 14. And in it, he addressed that parable to those who were spiritually proud. It begins in verse 9, and let me read it to you. Then Jesus told the story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned or looked down at everyone else. Verse 10, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Let me pause to interject here to say, therefore, a simple definition of spiritual pride is taken from here is when, a, when someone is confident of their own righteousness and looks down on everyone else. We continue uh, with verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and did not even lift his eyes up uh, to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Verse 14, and this is Jesus saying, I tell you this, I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humble, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
So therefore, the biblical understanding of humility, which is the opposite of pride, is primarily submission to God and the appropriate attitude before God of reverence, honor, fear, and love. You know, a biblical fear of God, to revere God. Biblical humility is a necessary precondition in order for us to receive God's grace. I want to say that one more time very carefully. Biblical humility is a necessary precondition in order for us to receive God's grace. Now, spiritual pride leads to spiritual blindness in, in that such pride blinds them from seeing God at work in, around, and through the people other than themselves. Thus, the spiritually blind people refused to believe in Jesus or His miracles because it was not worked through them according to their expectations or their perspectives. But as the parable points out, it is the sinner who submitted himself to God's mercy who receives grace from God by being justified before God. So I will say here, and this is the next point in the outline, that God's grace is received only by those who humble themselves and submit to His word and will. Now, God's grace is freely given, but it is only received by those who humble themselves and submit to His word and will. Now, uh, the ending of that parable says, uh, uses this term to exalt, those who exalt themselves. And, and the word to exalt is literally to be proud of. Okay, so when I'm proud of something, I exalt something. When something is lifted up, it is uh, to be proud of it. And it is important to recognize in the wordplay who is doing what to whom. Therefore, if I were to paraphrase or to rephrase that particular uh, parable ending, a fuller understanding in the context of the parable uh, ends with Jesus saying that those who are proud of themselves will be humbled by God, whilst those who humble themselves in submission to God will be exalted by God. They will be lifted up by God. So the Bible is dotted you know, all over the place with people who fell due to their pride, but thankfully humbled themselves after being disciplined by God. David, uh, King David, was such a one. And so was the Apostle Paul and Peter. All of them turned from their fall and their, their pride, initial pride, and submitted themselves in humility to God. We, likewise, must learn to humble ourselves and respond in thankfulness daily to God's grace. Sadly, there is no record of Uzziah being repentant of his pride or faithlessness. The leprosy or the skin disease he suffered would have prevented him from entering the temple or directly administering his rule due to his spiritual uncleanness. So to the end of his days, he was cut off from his people. Now it's worth thinking about uh, that conceited pride, conceited pride, very much like leprosy, causes one to be cut off from people. Nobody 
really, nobody really wants to be near a person who is so full of themselves, proud and arrogant. Could it be also that a conflict that is keeping you cut off, separated from each other, very much like a leper, is a matter of pride that can only be dealt with with humble or through humble submission to God's will uh, to do what is right before God. Or maybe, dear friends, maybe, I challenge to you, it's time to lay that pride at the altar with God and to be reconciled in love to each other and to God in the love of Christ. Now, later on in our song of response, we're going to sing, uh, Come to the Altar. So I pray that you think about this, that we come to the Lord, to the altar, and we lay all things down before Him, our conflict and our pride. One parting thought for me, and this is really uh, something that's personal to me. I, I thought about what keeps me grounded uh, in Christ, uh, that, that tends to humble me. And I think about this, that like the despised sinner, the tax collector in the parable of Jesus' parables, there are days when I beat my chest and I'm broken by the depravity of my soul, what I find deep inside my heart. And I'm humbled by the realization that any, any shred of good in me is not of my own doing, but an act of grace and a gift from God. Let me leave that with you, friends, to go forward and apply these three items for application, to know, to be, and to do. Firstly, I'd like you to know that any pride that is centered on human achievement will lead to your downfall. Biblical humility requires a submission to God. Any pride that is centered in our own self-righteousness or own, our own ability leads to downfall. Moving on to how we ought to be. Let us be submitting to God's Word, a submission and a surrender to God's Word and the fear of the Lord. Very much like that uh, sinful tax collector. And thirdly, to do. And let me take this from uh, a famous verse from Micah. Let us do this to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Shall we pray this prayer together? Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions and wash away all our iniquities and cleanse us from our sins. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. And do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of our salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. This we ask and pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.